and during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray-painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is your transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are going to have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life. Now... Let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast. I am Brian Levinson. Excited to have you with us for another great episode today. But before we get to today's guest, I want to let you know how you might be able to help us out here at the podcast. First of all, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. If you liked today's episode, we'd appreciate it if you would share it, share it on social media. You'll learn from today's guest that he's not too active there. So we got to try to get his message out to as many people as possible. And I appreciate those of you that have already done so. Also, if you can go over to iTunes and write us a review, it really does help us expand our reach. Thanks for the continued support. I can't tell you how much it means to me. Also, I'm really excited to share with you my new book. It's my first book, which comes out October 6th, and it's now available for pre-order at strongskills.co slash book. That's strongskills.co slash book. And over there, you can figure out how to order the book on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, really wherever you get your books. Also, we're running a special for those of you that are coaching a team or run an organization or have family and friends that you like to share books with or you're part of a book club. If you buy over 20 books, you will get a shout out on this podcast and you will also get an hour long Zoom call with me where I can go over all the details of the book and answer any questions you might have and share some of the themes that I think will resonate with you and your organization or team. So go over to strongskills.co slash book and check it out. And over there, you'll find out all the information you need for that deal. You can also email me, brian at strongskills.co if you want to find out more information about the package deal. So that's what's going on. A lot of good stuff. Excited about it. And I'm really excited to share today's guest with you. Shaka Smart is the head men's basketball coach at University of Texas. You may also remember him from his time at VCU where he helped lead them to a final four and get them up to fourth ranked nationally. He is just an amazing guy. And look, we could talk about his success as a coach, but you'll find out today is less about 
basketball per se and more about life. He's going to talk about spirituality. He's going to talk about culture. He's going to talk about leadership. And we go deep here. We, we dive deep, especially in, into spirituality. And Shaka is just a really wise guy. Uh, if you follow college basketball, you're probably familiar with him. He brings an energy to any conversation he has. He is somebody who is genuine. He's curious. He's a lifelong learner. And to be honest, I think you'll find out after listening to this for a few minutes that this is a guy who could be successful in a lot of different areas of his life, but he is obsessed with basketball and that's the craft that he's chosen. And I'm happy he has because I love basketball as well. And we all get to learn from him and he gets to use that platform to share some of the knowledge that he's learned along the way. So I'm not going to go over his entire resume. You can certainly find him online. So without further ado, I'm excited to present to you Shaka Smart. Shaka, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, big shout out to Brandon Chambers, who uh, is really the reason why we connected. He puts on these Zoom calls for coaches and has done an amazing job. I've sat in on a few of them as a listener. And then um, I got to sit in and listen to you and Kevin Eastman, who's a brilliant guy. Uh, and then we got to riff a little bit together on his call. And I actually just talked to Brandon this morning about, you know, that and thanking him for connecting us. And I've been able to connect with a few other people through Brandon. And, you know, Brandon is somebody who I've known over the years and is just a lifelong learner and always trying to grow and get better and is really ambitious and driven. So those are the type of people that I find myself uh, energized by and be around. So I just wanted to give him a shout out. And I've enjoyed following your career. Um, and certainly at VCU and, and, and at Texas, and we were just talking about your conversation with Michael Gervais on his Finding Mastery podcast, which I thought was fantastic, and I highly recommend people check out. Um, and one of the things I was curious to learn about is you talk about relationships all the time. And so I'd love to know why that is and, and why you're so drawn to building and cultivating relationships with your people. Well, I think, you know, first of all, everyone has a type. Uh, my type is I'm a feeler, you know, I'm, I'm very much, uh, you know, someone that uh, experiences, you know, deep feelings. Uh, and I, I believe that those are almost always, you know, related to those around us. Um, and so whether it's in coaching or anything else that we're doing, um, you know, relationships are the best conduit for that. Uh, then the other thing I would say is just my background. I was raised by a single mom and uh, really coaches for me um, played a role as almost like a father figure. Uh, not almost, they were like a father figure. And those relationships were extremely significant in shaping who I became and who I'm continuing to become. So because they were important to me when I played and, and important to me now uh, as a coach and as a father and husband, um, I try to, you know, share that significance with the people I'm around. Who were some of the coaches that impacted you in your life? Oh, so many guys have impacted me. Um, you know, first and foremost, uh, my mom, uh, who really wasn't a coach at all. She never, doesn't have any type of athletic background, but uh, she taught me a lot of the foundational lessons that I utilize, you know, with our guys or utilize in my life. Uh, my high school coach uh, is a guy that, you know, I'm still close with to this day. His name's Kevin Bavery. He really took me under his wing. Uh, I used to call him on Friday and Saturday nights and ask him to open up the gym for me. 
and that really set a tone for me uh, as that being just kind of what I did at that time. And that continued uh, for a long, long time. Uh, just a way to be a little bit different than maybe other people at that age. Uh, but he cultivated in, in me a desire to learn more about the game, a desire to think like a coach and, you know, move my teammates maybe in ways that uh, most guys of that age don't think about. So I, I owe him a lot. Um, again, he also just treated me like a son. Um, then I played for Shaka. Were Kevin and your mom different as far as their approaches, or were they similar approaches to helping you develop? No, they were different. I mean, uh, again, my mom doesn't have any type of athletic background. Um, she has a teaching background, um, but she also is very, very interested in, in groups and organizations. And um, I remember sitting down with her and her kind of lecturing me on what works and what doesn't work in a group dynamic. Uh, and, and some of those things, I, I heard her say them at the time, but I didn't really understand until later on. Uh, my high school coach uh, was more just, he loved the game, you know, and he loved the relationship side of it. He loved the smell of the gym and the squeaking of the shoes and, uh, you know, again, he instilled in me just a passion for working and for connecting with guys around the game. So uh, I really owe him a lot for that. What do you love about basketball? Oh, I love a lot of things about basketball. I love uh, just seeing the guys um, grow and improve. That, that, that's a lot of fun. I really get a kick out of that. Um, seeing someone that you know is, is maybe at a certain stage at 16 17 years old and then just be so unbelievably different in a year or two or five uh, and you know everyone every coach has lots of stories or lots of examples of that uh, so i won't necessarily get into mine but um that's that's a ton of fun uh, i love the competition part of it i love the challenge that to me it is and maybe other team sports are like this but I think basketball is such an interesting interplay between being a team sport and then in, in certain ways, an individual sport, you know, sometimes. Um, and I, I think that, uh, you know, it's easy for us to kind of see that as a, as maybe a negative challenge, but I, I, I like, um, you know, the opportunity in it. You mentioned compete. How do you define competition? How do you think about competing and, and what it looks like? Well, you mentioned Mike Gervais, you know, he always says competing is, to, you know, the, the root of it is uh, to strive together. Uh, and, and I think that um, in a lot of ways, many of us, especially when we're younger, think about competing almost the opposite of that, like to, you know, dominate the other guy or to put down the other guy. Um, you know, I, I, I think one thing that, that is so prevalent in, in today's world is comparison. Um, and, you know, one quote that we use quite a bit is comparison is a thief of joy. Uh, you know, obviously social media and all that type of stuff uh, can feed into comparing yourself to others. Um, but the, the time when competing to me feels the best is when you lose yourself in the fight. And that is, you know, a common phrase we use with our team over and over and over again. 
Uh, and we try to get them to understand that's really when you're going to be your best, even individually, uh, is, is when, you're, when you lose yourself in the fight. So um, that's really the best part of competing to me. You mentioned you had coaches growing up that served as father figures. But it's clear to you that there's something more than just the wins and losses that is igniting you. Obviously, wins and losses, if you're competitive, they matter. Um, and if you're at an elite level, they matter. If you're not coaching basketball, what do you, what do you think you're doing? Good question. Um, I love coaching basketball, so I don't uh, spend a ton of time thinking about those uh, scenarios, but I'm really, really interested in, you know, helping myself and others uh, raise consciousness, uh, raise awareness. Um, so I think whether I'm coaching basketball or doing something else, that's going to be the foundation for me moving forward. Uh, that's something that I guess since the coronavirus pandemic um, came upon us has been, it's gone from something that I was interested in to something that is really central to my life. Um, kind of stole an idea from Mike since you brought him up. Uh, and that is, he always talks about his community. Um, and so I, I kind of started a, a spiritual community. Uh, and when I say spiritual, I don't mean religious at all. Um, at all, because I, I didn't grow up that way. Um, but more from the standpoint of, like I said, raising consciousness, awareness, the ability to be present, uh, ability to uh, find the gap in between who we really are and maybe our thoughts and our feelings, um, the things that happen outside of us. Um, and that's been a lot of fun, just interacting with some different people. Uh, I send an excerpt out every morning to uh, you know, a bunch of folks just to kind of create conversation with them. And uh, that, that, that's been cool. So if I wasn't coaching, I'd you know, be doing, utilizing that to do something else. So awesome. I'm thinking about, I'm just trying to connect some dots here and I'm hearing relationships, community. And I have this thought, I just read yesterday, there was an article that said, you can't fire people when you're in community. Um, and I think about in sports, we often say, oh, we're a family atmosphere. And you even mentioned you had father figures along the way that were, that were coaches. And so I've always sort of wondered about this. Like if you're building family or you're building community, but you've got to cut a, cut a guy or you've got to kick someone off the team or, or you have to fire an assistant coach or, or whatever it might be, that is sort of transactional in nature. So I'm curious, given that it sounds like, hey, I'm relationship oriented, I want to build community or family or whatever word you want to choose. Does that ever get in the way of doing what's best for the team? Um, Absolutely. I, I think, you know, first of all, there are contradictions in, 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 in what we do, particularly, I think the higher the level that you go to in, in athletics, uh, you know, those things, uh, are brought more and more to the surface. For instance, uh, I, I don't know that, I don't know a coach that got into coaching to make a lot of money. Um, you know, I, I truly believe that 
almost every coach out there uh, at, at almost every level got into coaching because they love the game. Um, they love being around kids. Uh, they, they love the teaching component of it. They love the competing component of it. Uh, and really, I think when we are true to ourselves, those are the things that we evaluate ourselves on. Uh, but as you mentioned earlier, the higher the level you go, you know, externally, we're evaluated on one thing, and that's winning and losing. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. Uh, you know, we, we, we sign up for what we sign up for. Um, but, but there's no question. I, I, that's something that I um, have a couple friends that during this, <laughs> during this uh, pandemic, uh, we, we've just started to get on Zoom calls late at night um, about two, three times a week. And we just throw around different topics. And uh, that's one of the ones we've talked about quite a bit is the interplay between what's transactional and what is relational or transformational. And it is not a clean split at all. I love the idea of polarity. Um, and I can send you some stuff if you're unfamiliar with polarity, but it basically is the power of and. Um, so for example, how can we be realistic and optimistic? Um, and, and, you know, I, I'm, I wrote a book about this, but essentially like polarities exist in this world and how do you have conviction while still remaining curious? <laughs> like, that's one that I really struggle with is like, when do I need to step into curiosity and when do I need to step into conviction and really, no, oh, this is what it is. And I know you're a fan of mindset by Carol Dweck, like, you know, growth yeah, mindset I, I, and fixed mindset. Yeah. Not to interrupt you. And, and, and again, trust me, uh, I, I got a long way to go with this. I mean, and, and, and so I'm not saying I got the, the answers, but um, to me, uh, what, what's, what's underneath what you're talking about uh, for all of us is consciousness. And if we are highly conscious, we're aware we, we, we drop any resistance to what's going on, then we certainly can choose to be and. We certainly can choose to have a level of conviction um, and be very, very curious. Uh, but what tends to happen is our minds get very, very identified with maybe uh, an, an identity or a way of thinking or whatever it is that we have strong conviction about. And now you and I are having a conversation. My conviction is so strong, I'm so identified with that that I'm not even listening to you or paying attention to you. It's more about just me holding firm to what uh, I'm identified with. And that's where it's really, really tough to me to have that polarity. Uh, it's, it's so good. We're going to get into consciousness in a second, but I think about holding two things at once and that humans have the capacity to hold two things at once. And too often we think we just have to have one thing. Like I can have empathy for somebody and completely disagree with them. And I think sometimes we think that empathy means that you have to agree with the person. You don't. It's okay. I understand where you're coming from. And based on what I know, this is what I believe in. And then I think about science and like a great scientist will have conviction in what the science says and the research says and be cynical and try to prove it wrong. And like, let's make sure that it's correct by trying to prove it wrong. Um, so those are thoughts that are, they're coming up for me, but you mentioned consciousness. What sort of things do you do to increase your consciousness or awareness or whatever word you want to tie to that? Oh, well, this is something that, um, again, I've put a lot of 
energy and thought into uh, over the last probably two, three years, but especially since March 13th, when we were confined to our homes. Um, the first thing's meditation. Um, and, you know, I know certain people have strong negative feelings about that. Some certain people like it, but uh, for me, what I found is uh, it's a really good way to start the day um, to be able to, I'm not a morning person, Brian. Uh, I'm one of those people that my mind is always running in the morning. So sometimes my mind wakes me up very, very early uh, with a lot of, you know, scenarios and what ifs and um, crazy thoughts. Uh, so what I found that uh, when I do get up that the, the meditation uh, first thing is, is effective for me just to get a sense of where I am and a sense of presence. Um, and then I do a lot of reading about this stuff. I mean, there's so many really, really, uh, what I would call high beings uh, in this area that, that uh, are way ahead of the rest of us in terms of truly grasping. Um, and then the third thing would be, again, just communicating with others about it and, um, you know, bouncing ideas off other people and uh, learning, uh, helping others learn. Those are some things I do. Who are some of those high beings that you find are helpful to expand your consciousness? Well, my two favorite uh, spiritual teachers are uh, Michael Singer um, and Eckhart Tolle. Um, but there's a bunch of other ones that I, I really like. And I, I do find that the more that you learn from different people, um, really most of these spiritual teachers, including people across even religious disciplines, a lot of them are saying many of the very, very same things. Uh, so that is interesting as, as you read that and, and kind of put things together. The thing that's challenging, Brian, is everybody uses a little bit different vocabulary. So the word self, for instance, uh, might mean one thing to one spiritual teacher, another spiritual teacher might mean something else. The word ego or the word mind uh, so it's really, really important to understand what they're talking about. And then most importantly for yourself to understand, you know, what that means to you. And in, in our case with a team, what it means as you're trying to communicate it to other guys. You mentioned ego and I think about alphas and ego and in, in basketball and superstars. And, uh, you know, we all just watched the last dance and you see Michael Jordan, like plenty of ego. Um, how do you think about ego? How do you think about it as a, a coach? How do you think about ego for your team or the athletes? Is it something that you focus on or think about? It's interesting. You know, to me, um, I, I, I think it's just part of your mind. Uh, and, you know, a lot of the work that um, I try to do and I try to help our guys with is being able to find uh, what we call the gap in between who you really are, like the true inner essence of you and all the workings of your mind. Uh, a lot of times what our minds do is try to kind of take control or take over. Um, 
And, you know, I mean, you, you, I'm sure talk about this a lot and what you do, Brian, we want to use our minds or our egos uh, or our psyches uh, as tools, as opposed to those, you know, them using us <laughs> and them running us. So um, ego can be, you know, a very, very useful thing. Um, but I think if it's, if it's, uh, if you try to, uh, go through ego, whether it's as a player, as a coach, or whatever it is you do, you try to perform through ego without having awareness uh, or consciousness, as we say, then you it can easily get away from you. Uh, now, for sure, the best performers in anything, uh, and I would put coaches, you know, in, in this as well, have a very, very uh, large dose of confidence, even arrogance. Um, but I think a lot of them also, interestingly enough, you talk about polarities, have a level of humility that's really, really special. And uh, <laughs> one thing that I love to watch is when two great ones interact with each other. And I, I just, I love to kind of sit back and watch that because that's, you can really, really see uh, that humility and, and, and like a shared respect between the two of them. What are you watching when you're watching a game? Are you watching, like, obviously I'm not including recruiting and scouting. Like if you're watching a game for fun and there, you have no horse in the race or no, no specific job, are you watching the sidelines and you said, I love watching them sort of play play chess or, or like what, what are you watching when you're watching coaches to study their craft and, and sort of see that, that at work? Interactions. Yeah. Watching, watching interactions between the coaches and the players, the players and the players, the coaches and the coaches. I mean, it's fascinating. I, I had a coach tell me this. Um, so at some point during this, you know, this, this stretch where we've been kind of sidelined from basketball this is an unbelievable recommendation. I, I never really had thought about it before. He said what he does is he has a member of his staff that's kind of a, you know, not one of his full-time assistant coaches, but, but, but certainly someone that he trusts and, and, and believes in. And what that person does is evaluates those interactions that I'm talking about over the course of the game and especially during timeouts. Um, so he sits behind the bench and he takes notes and he really evaluate. That's really what he does during the game is he's, he's evaluating coach player interactions, player, player, um, you know, on the bench between guys on the court and someone on the bench. And it's, it's pretty fascinating. Some of the feedback that he shared with me, I, I've never done that before, but that's definitely something I'm going to try. I love it because you watch so much film on your players and break it down and you could have done this. You could have done that. At least I'm assuming you do. Um, most sports teams, they watch film and they, they study it. And when I work with teams, I'm always watching the coaching staff and seeing the communication and the nonverbal scream. Um, and then the verbal sometimes scream, but uh, you know, and, and what I like to do is sit right behind the bench um, a couple of rows up um, but close enough so that I can actually hear the the words being said. And um, I think if you're interested in leadership, 
I, I highly recommend you do that if you can, you know, get in a gym. It could be a high school gym or college gym and just watch those interactions, especially in, in the arena, in the performance. It's one thing to do it at practice. It's a whole nother thing to do it when there's something on the line. And so I think that's, that's really, really cool. You mentioned uh, you're not a morning person. And when you said that, I thought you meant like, I don't like to wake up early or I'm groggy in the morning. And then you sort of described it as there's a lot of uh, noise in your mind in the morning. And then I heard you say, I'm up late with these Zoom calls during the pandemic, connecting with people and, and chatting. So I'm curious to A, hear about sleep and what sleep looks like for yourself. And then B, did I capture that right as far as not being a morning person? Because I am literally not a morning person in the sense that like, I have plenty of energy throughout the day. I don't think anyone would be like, oh, Brian's not an energetic dude. Um, but in the morning, like my wife knows, let's not have a real conversation right now. I'm just a little groggy. I, it takes me a while to get going. And I've, I just talked about this on a podcast I was on. For years, I thought I was lazy as a result of that. But then I talked to my older brother once. He's like, Brian, you've been like that since you were a kid. Like, uh, whereas he was shot out of a cannon first thing in the morning, my parents had to drag me out of bed. Um, so I, the question, as I just gave you some more meat on myself, is sleep. How are you on sleep? Uh, and then B, go into the morning person uh, and then what you think about that and what you mean by that. Well, I'm not one of those people that uh, can function on like four hours of sleep. I'm highly envious of those folks uh, because I, I know quite a few that they just seem like they can stay up late and get up extremely early and they just go, go, go. Um, that's, that, that's not me. I certainly need uh, a certain amount of sleep. Um, but in terms of the morning, I'm, I guess like you, Brian, I've, I've never been someone who's shot out of a cannon. Uh, when I get out of bed, even when I was a kid, um, you know, I just, it takes me a little bit of, of, of time to kind of become myself. I would say that, and I think, I hope our players would say this, I'm, you know, generally very, very high energy and enthusiastic about life and, um, you know, just really excited. Uh, but I would say the morning, <laughs> the first 10, 15 minutes of the morning uh, is, is not that. So uh, it's been good as I've, as I've moved over the last couple of years to this meditation practice um, in the morning. I, I remember talking to a, uh, a mentor of mine and I said, we were talking about meditation. And I said, I, I can't meditate in the morning because that's, that's kind of the hardest time for me when I first wake up. And he said to me, that's exactly why you should meditate in the morning. So uh, I'm glad that I've made that shift. And then at night, are you able to shut down your brain? I struggle falling asleep at night. I actually had a sleep doctor on here to try to help, help me out um, and interviewed her. And she gave me some helpful tips, like just turn your phone off. You don't need it even on. Um, obviously, TV, light. Um, but I, I, I will flat out say, like, I have not mastered this by any stretches. Like nighttime, I ruminate a lot. I've had a lot on my mind. And then as a result of that, I can struggle to fall asleep. And then like you, four or five hours, man, I, God bless those people. Um, and I, I am giving me like seven to nine. Uh, like, and honestly, I could do eight and nine and I'm, I'm going to be much better than seven. Um, so I, like, anyway, 
what are you like going to bed at night? Are you able to shut it down? Are you able to, to wind down? And I'd, I'd love to learn from you on that front. Well, I need to listen to your podcast with the sleep specialist because that is definitely an area. In fact, I was just thinking about that this morning uh, where I need to grow and learn and improve. Uh, my wife's always on me about it, but I don't do a very good job of, you know, shutting the technology down at night, specifically my phone, you know, in, in our line of work and coaching, you, you kind of, you know, you need to be accessible um, all the time. And so I literally sleep with my phone, two phones, uh, right, right there. Uh, but that's probably not the healthiest thing uh, for, for your, your sleep. One thing I, I will give you one small uh, tidbit that, uh, I find helpful is that if, uh, and this is different for everyone, but if you sleep with uh, a certain type of noise, you know, some people like nature sounds or whatever. I like what's called brown noise. You can also listen to white noise. Um, that can help you a little bit. Uh, what's, think, what's brown noise, Shaka? What, what is that? Like it's, it's nature? Kind of, no, it just kind of sounds like static. Um, you know, like if you, back in the day, you might be too young to remember this, but back in the day, like before cable TV, <laughs> when you turn the TV to like a certain station, it was just like static. Uh, so it just, it just sounds like that. Um, I don't know, maybe that it, it, it might help the mind to, you know, calm down a little bit. Um, I think that's one of the most challenging things with sleep is, is just getting your mind to chill out. I know you love to read. When do you read? I read every morning um, after I get done meditating. That's, that's what I do. And I, um, I've got a big kind of assortment of books uh, on, on a table there. My wife gets mad at me because it does kind of take up this, this huge table in our living room. Um, but I just rotate those. I've got about five or six books that I'm in the middle of right now, but they're, they're all, in this case, they're all spiritual books. Um, so it's similar content. Um, uh, and then I, after that, I pick something from that I just read and, and, and send it out to some folks and, um, you know, just share some ideas. And usually, uh, my brother for sure, uh, and maybe certain others, uh, gets back to me and then it's, you know, kind of back and forth talking about it. Um, and then at night, sometimes I read. Uh, if I can. And that's when I try to read something that's more, you know, like a coaching book. Uh, I like to read Phil Jackson stuff. Um, but yeah, that's what I do. Did you have any sort of spiritual framework growing up? Did mom, did she, any religion or any spirituality? Zero. <laughs> I had zero. Um, and you know, it's interesting, different people define that word so differently. Um, but I was not raised in, in any way religious. Um, the only times I ever went to church when I was a kid were when I slept overnight, stayed overnight at a friend's house. Um, now I'll say this, um, every time I've gone to church, whether it was when I was a kid in those situations or since then, uh, when I was part of a team, sometimes we've, we've gone as a team and different teams where I was an assistant coach uh, here, I've told guys that if they wanted to go on a Sunday, that I would go with them. 
Um, so anytime that I've ever gone, uh, it's always been a very, very positive experience in terms of like, you know, just again, consciousness, uh, being very present, being connected uh, to, to the world around you. So I had no um, background in, in any type of spirituality as a kid. And Brian, I actually feel very, very strongly about this. We are absolutely, and I'm not talking religion here, um, but we are absolutely, I think, letting kids down by not teaching them more mindfulness, uh, presence, consciousness. Uh, I know there's, there's more and more social, uh, emotional learning going on, but nowhere near enough in schools. And, you know, we get these guys, obviously, when they just get done with high school. Uh, but, man, I have an eight-year-old daughter, and if I could change anything about the schools that, that she goes to or any, anyone else of that age, it would be to teach much, much more of what we're talking about. I'm curious for you, when my kids were born, I started to do a deeper dive into my own sort of spiritual framework and started to really think about it a little more intentionally. And my reasoning was I want to be able to look them in the eye and just say, hey, here's how I see things. Um, and it, it's probably that I, I still don't know anything and I'm, I'm on a journey from a spirituality standpoint, but at least I want to explain to them, hey, here's why I'm thinking what I'm thinking. Uh, I had a great upbringing with loving parents. I think from a religion standpoint, they just did what had always been done and it wasn't done with a whole lot of consciousness and intention. And so that's something I'm trying to shift uh, inside myself, but it takes a lot of work and time and energy. What, what kind of messaging are you passing down? You said everyone thinks of spirituality differently. How do you think about it? And, and what's the messaging you're passing down? You know, I don't know how many kids you have, but you mentioned your eight-year-old. Yeah, I was, she's the only child. Um, I kind of was fighting, I guess I'm still fighting history a little bit. My, my wife is an only child and her mom was also an only child. Um, I have three brothers that I grew up with. And then I have four more siblings that, um, I never met. Uh, so, uh, you know, kind of a, a big, uh, non-traditional family. Are you in touch with those four siblings? Uh, some of them I am, uh, and, and actually for the first time I met one of them this past year. Uh, he, he was in Austin for business and he, he came by my house and it was, it was at the same time really, really weird, uh, but also really enjoyed it. It, it was terrific. Uh, but in terms of spiritual beliefs, uh, to me, uh, spirit is something that we have inside of us, every single being, uh, certainly people. And uh, spirituality, to me, is as simple as kind of clearing away all the clutter, all the, the stuff that uh, gets in the way of that energy, that spirit, that shakti, that chi, whatever you want to call it, uh, from expressing itself through us. And if you think about anyone you know, including yourself, um, when that person has been at their best and has been the most um, energetic and excited and present and joyful, it has been in a moment when they've been highly present uh, and they've been able to, again, align with 
you know, that, that tremendous energy and uh, spirit that's inside of them. So that's what it means to me. So for my daughter, um, you know, we, <laughs> we try to practice every day uh, some type of awareness and acceptance work. I, I think that's kind of where it begins, those two A's, uh, raising awareness, observation, noticing more. Uh, and then once you've raised awareness, uh, being able to practice acceptance of what you're aware of. And that's, that's an important one because, I, trust me, I've learned this the hard way. When you just raise awareness, but the acceptance doesn't follow it, that actually <laughs> makes things worse for you because uh, you're aware of a lot of stuff going on. Uh, sometimes ignorance is bliss for people that don't have any of that. But that's kind of how I go about it with my daughter. I'll give you an example. I, I gave her uh, a little spiritual practice this morning before I, before I left. I said, I want you to write down what you anticipate to be the best thing that will, the best part of your day, you know, the best thing that you'll do today. And then I want you to write down what you anticipate will be the worst part of your day. And then tonight, after the day is done, we'll talk about it. And I did the same thing. My wife did the same thing. So just try to do little things like that. You know, when they're eight years old, <laughs> there's, there's certainly a, a cap on how far you can go. But hopefully, uh, it's affecting her a little bit. That's, that's awesome. Uh, you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation that you feel. And that's a big part of how you show up is you feel. Growing up, were you... Were you sensitive? Were, like, I grew up in a house with two brothers. Like, they called me sensitive all the time. Like, Brian, stop being so sensitive. And I, I came to realize, like, that was, they weren't, they weren't complimenting me. Um, but as I got older, that that sensitivity allowed me to do my job better. Um, and it was a gift. But at 12 years old, as a boy, it, it wasn't. So I guess it's a two-part question. It's, yeah, you, you nodded your head, so yes to that. And then also... I want to get into that feeling and emotion um, because a lot of times we tell athletes to be even keel and to be stoic. And so I'm curious for you as a coach for yourself and also for your players, how you think about feeling and emotion and sensitivity and all of those sort of inner, uh, I call them strong skills. Uh, corporate world calls them soft skills. Um, Cause I actually think they're, they're strength, but um, how do you think about the sensitivity and the emotion and the feeling as a coach? And then also with your players? Well, first of all, if you are a feeler and I would argue that it's largely not up to you, you know, I, I firmly believe that we all have a type uh, that we are mostly born with. It's cultivated obviously to some extent by who we're around but if you are a feeler, then you absolutely are going to be sensitive. Uh, now, there's certain things that you can do with that sensitivity. And it, as you point out, it can be a strength or it can be a weakness. Again, and, and I hate to sound like a broken record, but the key is awareness. It's, it's being conscious of your own sensitivities. You ever been around someone that is highly sensitive and then when it's pointed out to them, they say, no, I'm not, I'm not sensitive. Um, that's probably been you in the past. 12, 12 year old me. It's exactly that I'd fight. I'd fight them. If they said it, I would be like, all right, you want to see, let's go. <laughs> that's, that's certainly been me in the past as well. Um, and that can be players, you know, when, 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 when you're coaching, uh, <laughs> one common, uh, common 
dialogue between coaches and players is the coach says, come on, man, get yourself together. And the, and the player says, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And the coach says, no, you're not, you're not good. And <laughs> I know that's happened many, many times uh, with me and guys that I've coached. So you, obviously you got to do work on the front end and then also in the moment to get past the, that initial uh, conversation. Uh, but there's certainly some strengths uh, to being a feeler. I think when you're a feeler, you have access to uh, certain information and, and certain uh, sensitivities in a good way uh, as it relates to the people around you if you pay attention. Just because you have access to something doesn't mean you necessarily access it. Uh, you have to pay attention and you have to be very, very present. Uh, and I think we hurt ourselves sometimes. I know I've certainly been guilty of this by taking away our presence, you know, putting our minds into the past or the future. And then that reduces or even eliminates that superpower of being able to really, really see and pay attention to what's going on with someone else. That's awesome stuff. And it just resonates with me personally. Um, Cause I also think that's where my energy comes from. My passion comes from, it comes from my body. It's also where my anger comes from. Like, there's no question. Like I say, my anger comes up my spine and I can feel it. And now I'm like, fight mode and um i have to try to create a relationship with it if if but unless as you said earlier then it runs me um and i can run into some challenges there i talked to jamie and christian who's uh someone who we both know uh and just a brilliant guy and, and really have a ton of respect for him as a human being and as a coach and i asked him i said what's what's one question you want me to ask shaka on the podcast and he said what is your biggest daily challenge in trying to achieve greatness and so I'm curious to get your, your thought on that. That's a good question, Jamian. Uh, first of all, I loved working with Jamian. Uh, he has a phenomenal, again, just a blend of confidence and humility that I, that I think is rare. Uh, and he also, it's very easy for him to demonstrate his care and concern for his players. And I know that that sounds basic, but I really believe that that is much, much easier for some people than it is for others. And it comes naturally for him. Um, biggest challenge, you know what? I won't get back into all the, <laughs> the consciousness and the present stuff, but I think it's uh, certainly just being in the moment with whatever it is that I'm doing um, because Another part of my type is that I'm also a, a doer. And so I like to check things off the list, but people also, my wife reminds me of this, people say all the time that you overestimate what you can do in a day and then you, you underestimate what you can do in a year uh, or five years. And I'm definitely guilty of that. I mean, I can show you a to-do list I have for today and it's too long. <laughs> it's too many things. Uh, Coach Raveling is, 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 a, is a mentor that I'm fortunate to be able to call from time to time. And he's gotten to the point, he told me, where he tries to do one very, very high quality thing every day. And I mean, you can imagine the quality with which he, he's able to do that. So that's probably the biggest challenge for me is, of really emphasizing quality 
and being present to create that quality while I also have these 73 other things on my mind that I, I know I want to get done and I need to get done. What have you struggled with over the last couple of months? We've been in a pandemic and it's, it's different. And then we also have a lot of racial tension and uh, things bubbling to the surface that probably were here all along. Um, I'm just curious, like what, what challenges of this time in, in our, in our existence have, have you had over the last few months? The mind, the mind creates all the struggles and challenges that we have. Uh, and it's very, very easy right now with all that's going on for our minds to, to go nuts and, and to create, you know, negativity or anger uh, or resentment or other, you know, negative emotions, fear-based emotions. Um, you know, I think specifically with, with the racial strife uh, in our country over the past, you know, two months or, or, or whenever, uh, you know, things really, really started to heat up. Uh, one thing that, you know, that, that, that my, my mind tends to create is, I guess everyone makes these statements, right? You know, everyone says what they stand for, stand with or stand against. And, you know, what's really interesting to me is like, well, what does that really mean? You know, a statement that uh, anyone puts on social media. And, you know, I've learned actually, Brian, the, those things can be very, very meaningful to others. Um, so I'm not being critical of, of, of anyone that, that, that has done that. Um, but it's, it's just very, very interesting to me what it means for us moving forward. And again, what is each of our responsibilities to back up what we say, to uh, let our life reflect our words? Um, so that's been, you know, at times a, a, a struggle for me to, you know, kind of uh, fight through. You know, when you see contradictions, and again, we all have them, when you see contradictions in our world or in our country, or in uh, specific people uh, that might be in certain positions uh, in different areas of our country. Um, you know, the mind tends to grab hold of those and say, this is not right. Uh, <laughs> so it can take you on a real trip, you know, for a day or half a day or two days. And again, it's all about being conscious and, and, and able to come back to uh, the moment so that you can do something productive with it. So for me, I've got this framework that I've talked to you about or your mindset for preparation, if done correctly, you can actually leverage it and it can impact you and your performance. And I think about that curious and conviction ideal, whereas if I'm being curious, then I'm going to be more convicted. Um, and so if I stay in curiosity a little bit longer, even as uncomfortable as it might be, then when it's time for me to make a stand, I have conviction in that stand because I've done the work and I've... I've spent time being curious. And I think in this rush to make a statement, sometimes we don't do a good enough job staying curious for long enough. Um, and then on the flip side, if you never make a statement, then you never stand for anything. Um, but for me, I'm pretty quick to get to conviction. So I know for me, I need to stay in curiosity a little longer, um, just generally speaking. 
And so I'm always trying to build that muscle so that when it's time for me to take my stand, I've got it with conviction. You mentioned humility and arrogance earlier. That's actually like the first shift I talk about in my book. And I use the word arrogance because I think we all need to have an exaggerated sense of self. And that to me is arrogance. It's not necessarily flexing your muscles or Muhammad Ali saying I'm the greatest. It can be those things, but it doesn't have to be. And I think an inner arrogance is, is really something powerful. Joe Gibbs, the Hall of Fame uh, head football coach in Washington and then went on to NASCAR and has a lot of success, he used to tell his guys to have an inner arrogance. And for me, I think the mistake that a lot of people make when we see arrogance in a negative way, I think it's usually because the person hasn't done the humble preparation and they haven't spent time humbly preparing. So now they're just arrogant all the time and they're not standing on any sense of humble preparation. And for me, I've come up with this concept that I need to have confidence all the time. Like I need to have confidence if I'm going to be humble, going back to the player that's getting coached and being said, it takes confidence to be humble and be coached. Like that, that actually takes like a, a sense of confidence in, in yourself. And then also, by the way, I think it takes confidence to step into arrogance because it's a lot easier to, to be in the shadows. It's a lot easier to blend in. You mentioned basketball being a sport where it's team and it's individual. There are plenty of guys I'm sure you've coached over the years that they'd rather just blend in and not stick out and not make a mistake. And, you know, and, and a lot of us, it's easier to be mediocre. It's easy to just be in the middle. It's harder to be like, nope, I want this. I'm going for it. And I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to make myself vulnerable. You got Brene Brown in your backyard, who I'm sure you're familiar with. Her link to courageousness and vulnerability is just fascinating. And so I think it takes vulnerability and courage to step into arrogance and performance. And if we've done the humble preparation, we've earned the right to say, yeah, I'm the right person for this job uh, and, and let's go. So I know I just went on a little bit of a rant. I'm, I'm curious if any of that uh, resonates with you. That's some stuff I have some conviction in because I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. Um, so I'm curious if, if you have any other thoughts on it. I agree with you. Um, I think that it's probably a little bit more messy than that in, in real life. Uh, but again, you know, one of the things that we always have to do in any conversation is kind of tidy it up just so that we can understand it. Um, you know, the interesting thing, uh, people throw around the word humble and humility. I really think, Brian, it means different things to different people. So I, I think it's really important to, you know, have a sense for what that means to you. Um, and then I would say the same thing with arrogance, because that's one of those words, Brian, that, you know, you could go up to 10 people on the street and some of them may, may think that that's the worst description that you could give to someone. And then there's other people that would say, no, I need that. You know, I, I, I need someone to have that. Um, with, with the piece of um, being curious, um, I, I think that that is so unbelievably true for, for people that are great learners. Um, and I've been lucky to, to coach a few guys that were super, super curious. And just that one trait allowed them to learn at such a better rate and at such a better quality than people that, that, that were not. And I agree with you. I don't think it necessarily means that you're not convicted in any, any beliefs. Um, now, when you do relate it to 
the conversations going on in our country as it relates to race relations and uh, racial injustice and you know fixing or as they say being anti-racist um you ever seen the movie white men can't jump sure okay so there's a great scene in that movie where wesley snipes character and woody harrelson's character just had a huge win playing two-on-two basketball they just hustled some guys for some money and they're in the car and um Woody Harrelson's character's girlfriend's in the back. So it's the three of them, and they're, they're happy, they're excited, and um, Woody Harrelson pops in a tape. This is back in the early 90s, so it's a tape. And it is um, Hendrix, Jimi Hendrix. And Wesley Snipes' character says, who is this? And you remember this. So Woody Harrelson's character says, he really proudly, you know, he's proud that he's listening to this music. He says, Jimi Hendrix. And uh, Wesley Snipes' character says, I know who it is, but why are you, you know, why are you listening to it? Um, or, or, you know, something like that. And, and uh, Woody's character says, I love to listen to, 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 to uh, Hendrix. I love Jimmy. And, and Wesley says, well, that's the problem with you guys. Like, you guys listen to Jimmy, but you can't hear Jimmy. And they go back and forth on basically, like, you know, if you're a certain race, you can't hear him, and that's crazy and whatever. But I, th- I, th- I think it's a, it's a really, really good example. Well, it comes from a movie, but just a demonstration of there's a difference between listening and hearing. And there's a difference between authentic curiosity and acting like you're paying attention or you want to learn something as a means to an end. Um, and that's something that hopefully, again, it ties directly back to our level of consciousness. And it's hopefully something we can do a better job teaching kids. As you're telling that story, what's going on in your body? What, what, what's actually, what, what, what was happening in your body you're telling the white man can't jump story? Well, first of all, it's one of my favorite movies of all times, just because I, when it came out, I think I was like 14, 15 years old and just like so excited about basketball. And anyway, um, just uh, excitement, you know, it it was, I love that movie. And and I think those guys did such a good job of portraying their characters. One of the reasons I asked that question is because that is the next level of listening, right? So it's, um, what did someone say? And then what do they actually feel? And, and listening for understanding and noticing, you mentioned noticing earlier, like noticing and observing. So mindfulness is a nice primer to active listening because it involves a similar experience. And you know, once I started learning about the thing underneath the thing, we call it. So someone says one thing, but rather than just staying there, you go one level deeper and that's the thing underneath the thing. You can really hear someone, see someone fully rather than just what the words are. Uh, and I think that's why tone and body language are are important, but you need to go even deeper to try to understand the perspective. And certainly that's what I aspire to bring. And it's interesting going back to humility and arrogance. For me, the definition that I use for humility is having or showing a modest or low estimate of one, one's own importance 
whereas arrogance is having or revealing an exaggerated sense of one's own importance or abilities. Um, and I agree with you because I've seen arrogance trigger people and have a really negative reaction to it. And in my mind, if we're going to try to raise consciousness, I think it's a great opportunity to have a conversation about, well, why is that? Like, let's, let's go there. Let's talk about um, what's happening for you when I say that word. And um, a lot of times it stems from people that treated people really shitty. Um, and, you know, when you have an arrogant boss and they treat you really poorly, it's an awful experience. So I understand um, why it will not necessarily end with some people. And I think it's an important conversation for us all to have. Um, and, you know, one of the things I've been working on is to not have to be all things to all people. Um, I, I definitely like to be well-liked and you realize that if you're going to have some conviction on stuff, you know, sometimes people will have a response to it. That's not ideal. Um, I want to go into your culture because as I look at this video and we're just going to have the audio so people aren't going to get to see, but you've got a whiteboard behind you and then over your other shoulder, there's a bunch of pictures that looks like of players dunking and shooting and then there's some words on it. Um, and I know studying you and learning from you, culture's a word that every organization uses, but it's something that you uh, are, are really thoughtful about. Um, what is underneath the culture at, at Texas with, with men's basketball? What would you say is sort of underneath what you want to bring and what you want it to look like? Well, I think, first of all, when you use the word culture, again, you have to define it. So for us, what we tell our players is that all culture is is how we act, interact, and respond. That's it. Um, you know, I've heard from – very, very accomplished coaches at the highest level that have said culture is as simple as the people in your room. <laughs> I, I, I thought that was, you know, pretty powerful too. Um, but as we know, the people in your room, uh, especially in college or, 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 or even younger levels, uh, are not always the same on Monday as they are on Friday. Uh, so for us to try to help these guys grow and learn how to be their best in terms of how they act, interact, and respond, uh, what we do is just kind of lay out, this is who we are. This is who we're striving to be. Um, we have three core values, relationships, growth, and victory. Uh, we have some principles underneath of those core values that we teach. We just kind of use as jumping off points. Uh, to uh, teach the guys, again, how we want to act or how we want to interact or how we want to respond. Um, most of that stuff is stolen, you know, from other people. Um, but, you know, it's also tried and true, you know, uh, from teams and experiences that either we've been part of in the past or we've seen other teams, you know, do successfully. But it, it only matters in as much as you're able to bring it to life. That's really all that matters. And again, there's, there's two different kind of times to be in. There's peacetime and there's wartime. And, you know, culture is important during both for sure. Um, but obviously it's, it's stress test a lot more, stress tested a lot more during wartime. You mentioned the people in the room. 
what do you look for when you're recruiting outside of obvious, like the physical and the skills that, you know, I certainly didn't have um, when I was in high school. And I know knowing your story, the guys that you're recruiting are, are different than what you had um, in, in high school. So what do you look for as far as the, the, the makeup? Uh, are you looking for certain, I'm going to call them traits, but characteristics might be a better word. Um, and how do you go about finding what makeup a player has? So we have a, a one pager that uh, I, I constantly am hitting our staff with. They probably get tired of me sending it to them and resending it to them. And at the top, it says Texas characteristics. And it's just, you know, the characteristics that we are looking for. And the majority of the stuff on there, it comes directly out of our culture document, which is, again, uh, uh, kind of an outline of the culture that we're trying to create because by far – the best way to create the culture you want to have is to bring people into your organization, players and otherwise, that fit those characteristics that you're trying to build. Um, at the same time, you know, in this particular situation when in, in college coaching, we are, you know, we're recruiting guys uh, and coaching guys that are far from fully formed. So you have to project a little bit uh, not so much where they are right now in those characteristics, but where they're going to be. Um, certain things can really, really change. Other things, for the most part, are what they are. And so we just try to match that stuff up. One example, Brian, would be uh, really looking for guys that are on an upward trajectory as opposed to, you know, people that have kind of leveled off or, you know, um, you know, we're really, really good early and, you know, have, have plateaued. Uh, we coached a guy here uh, a couple of seasons ago named Jackson Hayes, and, and he didn't even start a game in high school through three seasons. So he, when we signed him, he had not started a high school game and he was coming off a high school season in which he played six minutes a game. Uh, but he was clearly on an upward trajectory and physically, mentally, uh, his game was just taking off before he got here. And it's amazing when you are able to pinpoint and recruit guys like that, how well it makes their development go when they get here. You know, and everyone beats their chest about, you know, we do player development and we do. You know who really developed in, in, in his time at Texas was Jackson Hayes. Uh, I, Love to say, you know, we were, you know, we did all these great drills and all that. But the, re the reason he developed so much is because of his trajectory and because he had the character inside of him uh, to stay on that trajectory while he was being hit with some of the things you get hit with when you're in college. Awesome. I'm going to ask you to take your head coach hat off right now. And just as a fan, do you cheer for underdogs or do you tend to cheer for um, like the superstars and the sort of... Uh, teams that are dynasty teams. Like, who do you find yourself pulling for as a fan outside of basketball? Oh, I thought you meant in basketball, and I, I, I have an, a basketball answer for you. But Okay, you um, can go into basketball too. It, it's probably the same, you know, in, in anything. And that is um, – and I feel this really strongly watching, like, NBA games. Uh, but certainly I think it would apply to other sports or other areas of life. Um, I don't really cheer for the underdog or the favorite. Um, it's 
pretty easy to recognize a kind of an, an energy match with someone or to recognize, you know, what would be the opposite of that. So <laughs> I tend to cheer if I'm cheering for someone or something, it would be, you know, just what would be a match in terms of uh, just kind of what you're feeling from them. Um, that, that, that would be kind of how I look at it. I was just really curious because I've had that, this conversation with two coaches that I'm really close with and they both said they, they cheer for like greatness. They, they love greatness. And so they find themselves cheering for that. And I like my favorite basketball player growing up was Jerome Williams, who was nicknamed the junkyard dog and was a late bloomer, went to community college and went to Georgetown. Then was a late draft pick. And I just loved his tenacity and the way he played the game. And that was literally my favorite player growing up. I wrote him a letter and he sent back a picture with an autograph on it that was in my bedroom growing up. And then in football, my favorite player was a guy named Sean Barber who played at Richmond. It was like a fourth or fifth round pick and was a linebacker. And so I don't know if it's because of my size or, or what, maybe Rocky Balboa just like built this into me from a young age and Rudy and, and a lot of these underdogs. But I always found myself gravitated to being an underdog and like and surprising and shocking the world. Like I love that stuff. And so I find myself often cheering for those. And I, I definitely love watching like LeBron. Like I can watch LeBron every day. Giannis, like give me, I can watch greatness with no, no problem at all, but I definitely have a bias towards the underdog. Um, and it's something that I've become aware of because it's, it can get in the way uh, as well as I'm um, about if like sometimes teams will hire me to evaluate mindset and stuff. And I find that I have a bias toward a, a chip on the shoulder, an underdog or, or, or somebody who the world said couldn't do something and then they go on and do something. So that's sort of where that, co that comment comes from or that question comes from. Um, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, like I, I love chatting with you. You know, I, I didn't mention this earlier, but when we were on that call, you're someone who makes yourself available and accessible and, um, you know, where you are career wise at a school like Texas. Uh, it's really refreshing to be around someone who's, who's willing to do that. And I think it's authentic. Um, Jamie and said like his other question to ask was why do you give so much to others? Um, but I think I kind of know the answer to that is it's, it's in you. You're authentic. I think you're, you come across as a giver and somebody who cares deeply about connecting with people. Uh, and you're a learner and you're curious. So I, I don't think there's much more that I really want to dive deeper in there. Um, so I just want to say thank you. Um, I appreciate you. And I appreciate the way you approach your craft and leadership as a whole. And uh, if people want to learn more about what you're up to and, and what the team's up to, and I hope we get to see you all play this year. Um, but where can they learn more about yourself and, and Texas basketball? That's a great question. Um, you, you got that from Mike. He always asks that question. Uh, I'm not a big social media guy, um, so I'm, I'm sure probably most people would answer with that. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying I'm dead set against it, but, um, you know, I, I, I just I like communicating with people. Um, you know, I like being part of groups where, you know, we just share information. So, um, you know, I'm, I try to be accessible as much as possible for, you know, coaches in a normal time that want to come to practice or want to talk ball or talk strategy, that sort of thing. And um, certainly grateful to you for having me on. I've definitely learned some things in the conversations that we've had and uh, look forward to checking out your book. 
awesome. Well, you are on Twitter at Hook'em Smart, so I'll give you that H O O K E M S M A R T. And then I'll ask one more question: Is there a nonprofit or a cause that you feel deserves a megaphone that you are like, hey, why don't we just let people know about what they're up to? Is there something that you're passionate about on that front? There's a lot of them. Um, you know, there's there's a ton that are very very. Uh, timely and important uh, with, with what's going on right now. Um, I guess if I had to pick one, my wife might get mad at me because she, um, she has, you know, a lot of different ones that she's interested in. Uh, I, I'll give you this one. Uh, this is probably the most impressive person I've ever heard speak. Um, and that's Brian Stevenson. Um, and he runs what's called the Equal Justice Initiative. Um, in fact, there was in the last year a movie came out about him called Just Mercy, which is based on a book um, that uh, that he wrote. And um, there's one for you that I mean, he's about as impressive as they come. And the movie is whew, powerful. Highly recommend it. Um, uh, it, it's it'll make you think, and I think that's it's really important that people are thinking uh, and are conscious and they're thinking right now. I'm on Twitter at Brian Levinson, uh, and then we talked about the book. You can get the book at strongskills.co/slash/shift-your-mind. Uh, Shaka, a lot of fun. Looking forward to chatting soon, and uh, all the best to you and your team on the upcoming season. Thanks for having me. Appreciate uh, the time, and look forward to staying in touch. Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. We want to use our minds or our egos uh, or our psyches uh, as tools as opposed to those, you know, them using us <laughs> and them running us. So uh, ego can be, you know, a very, very useful thing. Um, but I think if it's, if it's, uh, if you try to, go through ego whether it's as a player as a coach or whatever it is you do you try to perform through ego without having awareness uh, or consciousness as we say then you can, it can easily get away from you uh, now for sure the best performers in anything uh, and i would put coaches you know in, in this as well have a, a very very uh, large dose of confidence, even arrogance. Um, but I think a lot of them also, interestingly enough, you talk about polarities, have a level of humility that's really, really special.